to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome back to Natural MD Radio. This is Dr. Aviva Ram, and this is episode 125 bringing you a live broadcast from a crazy time, the time of COVID. And today we're going to talk about COVID-19 prevention from common sense to natural remedies and how to avoid nonsense. I know you've been waiting to hear from me on how to prevent and treat COVID-19 naturally, particularly the herbs and supplements I recommend, what I think about things like elderberry and cytokine storm, and much more. In this podcast today, I'll be discussing these, and in a subsequent one, coming in the next few days or so, I'll talk about natural therapies for COVID-19 symptoms, whether they work, what's appropriate to try, and when to get medical care. While herbs are an important part of my life and work, this is really a time to be cautious about who you listen to and conservative about what you try. In today's episode, I'll share important prevention strategies, which herbs and supplements are safe enough to try and have enough evidence to support their use for healthy immunity to make them worth even considering spending your money on. But I want to really emphasize that this information is not a substitute for the continually updated official information from appropriate health authorities, including the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the World Health Organization, nor for your primary care provider, nor should they be used in any cases of serious infection. Also, before I jump into natural therapies for immunity, I want to address some things that are on my mind that are happening in the natural medicine community, because I want you to be aware. COVID-19 is health clickbait, and that's good for the wellness industry, but it might not be so good for you and for me. I feel personally that I'm in a bit of a deja vu when it comes to this infection. As soon as SARS hit in the early 2000s, and then again when H1N1 hit, like now, there was no shortage of information from air quotes, experts, on what natural medicines you can take and buy from them for prevention and cure of what each time was an entirely new infection with no research about the infection let alone the herbs or supplements, and not just no research, but no precedent for traditional use because it had never been treated before. The infections were entirely new. At that time, I was the president of the leading organization for herbalists in the U.S. and actually in the world. Seeing the glut of articles, advertisements, and products being hawked even by some of our own community members, I, along with the leaders of two other natural medicine organizations, published a press release stating that this was a real medical condition, not a hoax, as some were proposing, that the situation was still emerging and we really didn't know the extent of the threat, and begging people to please not forego common sense approaches to prevention and appropriate medical testing and care should they think they have disease or should they appear to have a severe case or complications? The differences now are that the internet has become massive since that time, and there's no shortage of influencers and experts, many of whom are not experts at all, willing to share their advice. 
Integrative and functional medicine was fringe back then, and it's now mainstream, with access to alternative testings and supplements everywhere. And there are players, big and small, in the natural medicine arena, more than willing to profit substantially off of half-truths, hyperbole, and your fear by selling you tests and treatments that they swear work. We live in a world in which an outbreak of this magnitude is clickbait. It's an opportunity for many of all sorts of health modalities to position themselves as leaders and experts, even when they have no training in public health, no training in infectious disease, no real training or experience with natural therapies other than taking care of themselves, and have no clinical experience. And that's where I can actually say that I do have an extensive amount of all four of those. It's also an opportunity for supplement companies to cash in, and they are. Of course, within that, there are many well-meaning people, including those who may even be personally loading up on the supplements and treatments that they're selling. But over the past 10 days, especially as COVID-19 has spread rapidly across the planet and landed solidly on U.S. shores, I've seen quite a lot of content on the internet from integrative herbal and functional medicine people that has really disturbed me. Here are just a few examples. The founder of a well-known medical startup promoting itself as the future of medicine provided what on the surface appeared to be a reasonable and important analysis of the fact that chronic illness now rampant in the U.S. does make people more vulnerable to infections and complications from them and rightly attributed this to a broken healthcare system. So where's the problem? The big take-home of the article and accompanying series of Instagram posts is that you might want to get that lab testing for chronic disease. And while you're reading the article, guess what? You get a pop-up offering you that very testing if you join their practice. There are no lab tests that can tell you if you're high risk for contracting COVID-19. We do know that having a chronic health condition like diabetes or heart disease does increase one risks, one's risk of complications, not just from this novel virus, but from flu and many other infections. And yes, that testing can be really important, but it's not going to make an, any difference in an acute setting. A well-known herbalist touted that he personally cracked the code on what causes this novel coronavirus and makes humans physiologically susceptible. And not only that, he could sell you the herbs to boost your immune system and protect you against the disease. Now, I can guarantee you he's not being nominated for the Nobel Prize in medicine this year, that he has not cracked a code that scientists around the world, good people like you and me, with families they also want to protect, have not yet cracked. Even companies that stand to make billions, that's billions with a capital B, on vaccinations and treatments with research teams on this 27 right now so that they can be the first to market, haven't figured it out. Then there was the example of one of the largest natural medicine websites, and I'm saying medicines in air quotes too, that alleged, falsely, that the use of high-dose intravenous vitamin C is a cure for COVID-19, is being used in other countries as an effective treatment, and then links to a company that sells IV vitamin C therapies that they no doubt have an affiliate relationship with. I've also seen a lot of troubling emotional and spiritual platitudes, I'm sure also meant to be well-meaning reassurance and inspiration, but which I find at best fall flat as disingenuine and at worst, frankly, disrespectful. 
For example, a well-known health celebrity posted and another shared that COVID-19 is forcing us to all slow down, make time to be more present in our lives, and recognize our powerful connection to nature. I wonder, though, how that's working for the people who have lost their jobs in the service industry because the cafe, restaurant, or retail shop they worked at closed. The single mom who can't just stay at home and do crafts and play cards with her kids even if she wants to, whose kids' schools have closed and she's scrambling to find childcare and not lose her job. The women who are now forced to be at home full-time in environments that might not be as safe for them. The doctors, teachers, and others working overtime and also facing likely exposure to SARS-CoV-2, the virus responsible for COVID-19 infection, or the people of entire countries such as Italy that are locked down with those sick and their families and their doctors facing severe shortages on life-saving medical equipment and having to make terrible choices that I hope neither you or I ever have to make. And sadly, I've seen what I consider completely inappropriate humor, such as an Instagram tile with a joke from a very well-known doctor about how something was going to kill us all eventually anyway, so it may as well be this, we should therefore all just spit in each other's mouths and die and let the animals take over the planet. While we all need levity in dark times, as I read that, I was horrified at the trivialization of a condition that public health officials and physicians and others around the world are working overtime to keep tabs on for our protection, that has caused thousands of people to have to bury a family member. And as one of my online followers' brother-in-laws was struggling for life, I saw this. He was one of the first COVID-19 cases in his state, only 40, and had some pre-existing medical conditions that put him at risk. And even my best friend, who was stressed and exhausted about what to do if his medical practice had to close because he wouldn't be able to take care of his other patients, or if he got sick in the wake of their first COVID-19 test result from a patient that had come in that week. COVID-19 is not a drill, and it's not funny. So I've actually taken to privately writing to these integrative practitioners posting jokes on their social media asking them to have some respect for the families, healthcare providers, school teachers, service workers, and others who are on the front line. And I'm really sorry in some ways to sound so snarky, and maybe, but maybe I shouldn't be apologizing. I'm not quite sure. It just really bothers me because I know you're concerned and looking to people you trust. On the one hand, the medical establishment is saying all these natural approaches are ridiculous, but on the other hand, there are so many incredulous claims and inappropriate statements being made. And I don't want you to be duped, sold, or worse, harmed, for example, by taking excessive doses of supplements or jumping onto the IV vitamin C bandwagon or getting medications through a friend, family member, or someone else who's selling them or giving them away without a prescription. For example, one of my patients called me this week and asked me, should she take chloroquine, an anti-malarial medication, with zinc because she heard online that it could improve improve immunity. Chloroquine is a very serious medication, and when we start using these medications out of context, we actually run the risk of making those medications ineffective due to drug resistance for really serious conditions that are have been you know just ravaging um, the world for decades, like malaria. So I want you to just. Be really aware, be really thoughtful, and be really careful because even 
some of these people I'm describing do have MDs after their names. If claims sound too good to be true, if people are selling and profiting things that they're telling you to take or use, then just take it with a grain of salt. It doesn't mean the information is wrong, but it should raise your suspicion. So how can you stay healthy with a natural approach? There are four big risks when following a natural approach to not only COVID-19 prevention, but any potentially serious illness. The first is foregoing practices that are known to be preventative and are proven, like those on the CDC website that we should all be diligently observing, and I'm going to explain in just a minute. The second is not getting medical treatment when it's needed. The third is taking harmful substances or possibly harmful doses of otherwise generally safe substances. So for example, on the internet, someone was recommending incredibly high daily doses of vitamin C, I'm sorry, vitamin D that were almost 200 times the recommended dose and overloading on vitamin C, uh, vitamin D can be really harmful. And the fourth is ignoring side effects or supplement contraindications that might be unique to your situation. So vitamin C, for example, at many thousands of milligrams a day may be safe for most people. It may cause loose stools, but in pregnancy, that's actually not safe for the baby. It can cause some problems. So knowing what is safe and knowing what is safe for you are also slightly different. So what I've done in this podcast is help to clarify that information. And also I have another podcast episode coming in a few days. It'll be out by the weekend of the week of March 15th. If, depending on when you're listening to this, it may already be out um, on, for example, what to do about COVID if you have an autoimmune condition, because that does raise some special considerations for various um, nutrients and supplements. So first things first, while it may seem like overly simplistic guidance, the best way to prevent illness is to avoid being exposed to the virus. And if you are exposed, to avoid getting infected by it. The basics of preventing infection spread are the most important place to start for this and any infection, which is why the containment measures we're all being forced to observe are actually so important. What we hope happens in a few weeks is we all look back and say, oh, that was a massive overreaction because what we did actually stopped it. That's really what we want to have ideally happen. So when you think about prevention, there are some really important steps that you can take. And these are also steps that are totally free and you can take even if the supplement aisle shelves are completely empty at your local stores and you can't order a single uh, bottle of zinc off of Amazon, which is actually the status right now. I've been checking regularly to keep up with access for my patients, for example, and a lot of places are running dry. So what's the first thing you can do? Not just wash your hands, but wash them properly. There's a great little uh, kind of meme going around on the internet, which is dance like no one is watching. Wash your hands like the entire world is wash watching. Um, that is a really important uh, little uh, thing to remember. One of the most practical common sense steps to preventing infection is washing hands. And coronaviruses, like this year's version, that has so far caused at least 120,000 or, or, or some odd infections worldwide, and some estimates are that one for every one uh, case we have detected, there may be five that are undetected. This particular year's coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, and there are two strains, 
are encased in a lipid or fatty envelope. Just like soap cuts grease and fat on your hands and on your dishes, soap can break that fat apart and make the virus less able to infect you. So wash your hands often, or at least regularly, several times a day, throughout the day, with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, and make sure that you wash your hands, especially after blowing your nose, coughing or sneezing into your hand, going to the bathroom, and before eating or preparing foods, as well as after being in public or while being in public and touching a lot of things. Sounds simple? It is, but you'd be surprised by how many people don't follow certain basic guidelines. A 2013 study found that of more than 3,700 people observed by trained observers, only about 5% of them washed their hands properly for disease prevention. One in four people used the splash and dash method, or what I sometimes also call the wet and jet method, wetting their hands but not using soap. Only 5% spent more than 15 seconds washing, rubbing, and rinsing their hands. And get this, only 1 in 10 washed after using the restroom. Like, come on, people. In general, most people wash their hands for only about 6 seconds. So how do you wash your hands properly? Turn on the water, hot or cold work equally well, lather up, and sing the happy birthday song twice while thoroughly rubbing soap over all your hand, all over your hands, then rinse and dry your hands. Another option or alternative to the happy birthday song is apparently if you have the entire opening monologue of the Star Trek Enterprise series uh, memorized, you can say that singing the tune after is optional, does not count as part of the 20 seconds. Now of note, liquid soap cleans germs off of your hands. So does most bar soap, but you don't want to use shared bar soap. And obviously you probably wouldn't find a bar in a public place. Hopefully not. Um, you can use a shared bar at home if everyone is well and generally not sick, but having liquid soap in your bathroom, if you have a guest over is a good idea. Liquid soap cleans germs off, foam soap, not so much. And if you're in a public bathroom and there's no soap, just rubbing your hands together under the water really well for at least 20 seconds does do some good. So it's still worth it. Now, if soap and water are not available and you have access to an alcohol-based sand, sand, hand sanitizer, it has to have at least 62% alcohol. You also have to cover all the surfaces of your hands and rub them together for at least 20 seconds or until they feel dry. This is really important. This is the kind of thing that's drilled into us in our medical training. You got to rub your hands together with hand sanitizer until it's all dry and evaporated. Chances are right now also soap is a lot more available than hand sanitizer. I did just read in the newspaper, I think it was the New York Times, that Louis Vuitton in Paris or in, somewhere in France is going to be converting some of their perfume manufacturing into hand sanitizer manufacturing and will give it away, which I think is incredibly wonderful. There are shockingly multi-billion dollar companies that are not going to be giving away services like New York City is having to negotiate apparently with Apple to get computers for kids. New York City is going to have to buy computers for kids. A third of the 1.1 million kids in New York do not have access to computers. And guess what? School is going online. So I'm like, come on, guys, give it up. You got trillions. Give away some computers. 
All right. So in addition to washing your hands properly, just some basic things that have almost just kind of become normal habit in my life from working in hospitals, which are known to be high risk places for um, resistant infections. Avoid touching high contact surfaces in in public. For example, get out of the habit unless you really need to of holding on to handrails on stairs or escalators. Whenever possible, use your elbow or a knuckle to flip on or off a light switch. Use your knuckle to turn uh, to push a button on an elevator. Whenever possible, use your hip to open doors and wash your hands after pumping gas. This is a really important time to smile and say hello or try an elbow bump instead of a handshake. And don't let yourself be what I call hippie shamed into giving hugs if you're feeling like keeping your distance is what you want to do. The idea of social distancing is very different than the idea of social isolation. Social distancing is keeping a three to six foot different distance between yourself and another person. I jokingly call this hippie shaming. You know, I've had friends over the years who have said things like when they've shown up at my house with a sick kid and I've got four kids and I'm kind of like, let's do this play date another time because I don't have the bandwidth to have four kids possibly get sick right now. And somebody will say, oh yeah, my kid is just detoxing. I'm like, okay, well then can you please detox at home? Or a few weeks ago when a dear friend that I really love and I were getting together and she popped out of her car and she said, don't hug me. I'm sick and I know you're a germaphobe. And I said, no, I'm I'm a doctor. I'm not a germaphobe. We tend to kind of jump right in there and have to take care of people face to face when they're sick. Why would you say that? And she said, well, whenever we're planning to get together and my kids are sick or I'm sick, you suggest that we wait till another time. And I'm like, yeah, because I mean, I might not get sick, but I might. And I'm kind of a busy person and don't really feel like getting your sick right now. And um, so I didn't hug her. And my husband, I think, felt a little guilted. And he did. And she texted me a few days later saying, guess what? I have influenza B. So I jokingly call it hippie shaming. And there's like this idea that we're being hyper-reactive or hyper-vigilant. This is good common sense. Like I said, we want to be looking back in a few weeks going, wow, that wasn't as bad as we thought. Not as many really, really sick people got really, 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 really sick, right? And the idea is that we're not passing this on, you know, that old TV, if you're old enough, that TV commercial, I think it was like Breck or something. I told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on and so on. And then like you have a screen of a million women's faces saying the same thing. That's what we're trying to avoid by this containment. So Hugs are great, and if somebody calls you a germaphobe, that's their problem. Um, Be considerate about sharing drinks, food, utensils, and other personal items, particularly those outside of your intimate family members. So let's say you go to a small gathering in your community, and everyone is sharing food, and somebody sneezes and, or rubs their nose, and then they touch the serving spoon, you know, you might not be thinking about things like that, and chances are that won't communicate the infection, because right now, right it's not even clear that it's um, passed along by fomites, which are the things that get on surfaces, but it's better to not take a chance. And especially more so, 40% of Americans are actually high risk for infection. That's how many Americans have some kind of chronic illness that puts them at higher risk. We're also talking about you know not exposing pregnant moms if we don't have to, and newborn babies if we don't have to. And each one of those touches passes it along. So just be thoughtful about that. 
And then there are just some quirky little practices from medical school, like um, regularly cleaning your own high-touch surfaces, especially if you're going out and using your cell phone while you're out. So, you know, clean off your touchscreen on your phone and your computer keyboard. And if you're still at a location where you are um, working at, at at an office and not at home and there are shared computers, it's okay to be a little weird looking and have a wipe and wipe it off. You know, it, it's really not for anyone else to judge. It's for what, what makes you feel comfortable. And so any shared surface is really, really important to wipe and then wash hands after touching. Number two of the four preventative things is avoid touching your mouth and nose um, with unwashed hands. So it's not like you can't wash your hands and then, you know, if you've got a little mascara in the corner of your eye, I get it, wiping it out. But it's actually no small feat because most of us touch our eyes, nose, or mouth on average several hundred times a day. So when you're out, here's a funny little thing you can do. Keep your hands in your pockets. It really makes you more conscious of the urge to touch your face. And if there are triggers that usually lead to touching your face a a lot, like wiping the mascara out from the corner of your eye, just learn to recognize it and avoid doing it because most of these are just quirky little habits we don't even realize we have. At this time, the CDC is still not recommending that people who are well wear a face mask and there's still there's such a shortage on them that I, they're not recommended at all. And the third thing you can do is avoid exposure as much as possible. So crowds, what's a crowd? There's no clear definition, but at this time, definitely stay home from clubs, any local sports events, concerts, restaurants, places of worship, and other places where you're in contact with a lot of people, especially people you don't know. Um, When I started writing this blog, actually a week ago, we hadn't gone onto lockdown and restaurants and clubs, and one of my daughters went to um, a house party one night. Um, We're all still happening. Some cities and even countries are closing all public venues. So it's not an issue in most places. Um, and I, you know, I think that the, the measures to close more public places in the U.S. is really important right now. But again, I just want to reiterate, social distancing is very important, but don't let yourself become too socially isolated. So distancing is no crowds, avoiding contact with sick people, keeping three, I prefer six feet from others outside your home. But isolation can lead to depression, anxiety, and loneliness, and that's not healthy ever, and especially not in these times. If you are sick, then mandatory self-quarantine, which I'll talk about in a subsequent podcast on what to do if you do get sick, um, is important. But staying connected, even if it's by Skype or FaceTime or Zoom, you can have a party on Zoom. Like Zoom lets you have a bunch of people on there at one time. So you can have a Zoom house party. You can have a Zoom dance party. You can have a Zoom book club. There are a lot of things you could do um, using social media. And the fourth thing I mentioned that becomes a risk when people are going alternative and not having common sense is not seeking appropriate medical care when it's needed. So when is medical care necessary? If you have difficulty breathing or shortness of breath, persistent pain or chest pressure, new confusion or inability to wake up easily or to wake somebody else up, Uh, bluish lips or face, your illness is worsening, or any other serious or unusual symptoms. Okay, so let's get to the heart of the matter that I know you want to hear from from me. How do you um, use natural medicines with common sense? 
First of all, natural medicine isn't all about supplements. A healthy lifestyle is actually the foundation for immune health. In my own personal steps to prevent SARS-CoV-2, I'm following all the things I just shared about hand washing, etc. And I'm solely doing a very few simple things. Eating well and getting enough rest are my two things that I'm doing. And you really heard that right. Other than a multivitamin I take most days, I'm not taking a single special supplement. I promise you, I'm not like hoarding them in my house and telling you that I'm not taking them. I'm not taking them. However, um, my diet is full of fresh herbs and dried herbs. I eat a really nutritionally dense diet. I'm definitely avoiding things like sugar and alcohol during this time, things that we know reduce our immune system. I don't include refined foods in my diet. I mean, you know, once every couple of few months, I might be out somewhere and enjoy something that's white flour, but it truly, since I've been 15 and I'm 53, that has just not been a part of my diet. And I eat really well and I eat like an amazing diet. People come to my house and they're like, if you ever give up the doctor thing, you could op <laughs> open a restaurant. So you can eat a really delicious diet and have it be healthy. So what is a healthy diet? Well, first of all, it's one of the most important keys to a robust immune response when you do get exposed to viruses and bacteria. So I recommend keeping the diet light, simple, and eating really only healthy foods right now. An optimally healthy diet to me is a very basic Mediterranean style diet that includes six to eight servings of fresh veggies and fruits every day, nuts, seeds, whole grains, legumes, eggs. And if you can get it right now, fish is great. But right now, leaning toward a diet based on a more vegan plan is also really sustainable. It's much easier to get bulk bags of rice and cans of beans than it is to get fresh fish, for example. And one of my patients just last week told me she couldn't get eggs at her market in New Jersey and that the Costco had closed because there were too many people in it at once. And so they were having to monitor how many people went through it. So eating a nutritionally rich diet, keeping all the junk, the sugar, and the um, alcohol, or to the extent that you can, I get it if you're home with your kids right now full-time, totally bake a batch of chocolate chip cookies, you know, that's fine. But keep it to a reasonable amount. Get enough sleep. Sleep, quantity, and quality play a major role in immune health, and lack of adequate sleep can make us more susceptible to colds, the flu, and can impair immune response more generally, while creating also a heightened inflammatory state. So how much sleep do most of us need for optimal health? No less than seven hours, but also no more than nine hours is a really sweet spot amount for optimal immune health. If you're having trouble sleeping, over on my website, I share links in a blog that corresponds with this podcast. So you don't have to memorize everything I'm saying. You can just go right over there and get all the deets, all the doses for supplements I'm going to tell you about, etc. And you can find links. How do you find this article and podcast? Uh, well, you're at the podcast, but if you're looking for it over on my website, go to my website homepage, avivaram.com. And under that giant banner picture with me, Below that, you'll find something about COVID and a link to learn more or read more. Click on that. You'll get to a whole page of articles, many of which have corresponding podcasts or the podcasts are being generated in real time for you. Um, and you'll find this one here, which is uh, called COVID-19 Prevention from Common Sense to Natural Remedies and Avoiding Nonsense. Okay, so in addition to getting enough sleep, here's a funny thing that I learned to do when I was a little girl, gargle. 
I know it's a really weird recommendation, but I had to include it because not only do a small number of studies, including one in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine, suggest that it actually has some benefit for preventing upper respiratory infections, but it's truly been passed on to me since I was a little girl by my great-grandmother, who actually was an herbalist, my grandmother, my, and my mom. It's totally free, and it can't hurt. Saltwater gargles are what my great-grandmother and my grandmother and my mom recommended, but there's no evidence that they're more effective than just plain water. How often and how long do you gargle for? Aim for two to three times a day for 15 to 30 seconds each time. Again, these are things you can do if you're unable to access any supplements when shelves are empty or you don't have stores in your community where to access these things, and they're all free. So what are some of the natural supplements that are reasonable that might be immunosupportive and can't hurt if you want to try them. The big question for me that many of you had is, are there any natural preventative strategies that could be helpful, that aren't harmful, and that you should consider or just add in? Let's take a look at these. The bottom line is that there are no supplements or herbs that are, at this time, known to prevent or treat COVID-19. There is no evidence whatsoever that boosting your immune system will prevent COVID-19 or mitigate the severity of your illness if you get sick. As one of my colleagues stated to me personally very well, most of us have healthy functioning immune systems. It's not like our immune systems are a flat tire waiting to be pumped up. That said, there's no harm in supporting your immunity, and many of us are running around exhausted and depleted a lot of the time, low in some of the nutrients that might help prevent viral infections generally, and when there's no harm in gentle supplementation, several of the ones I'm going to share with you are probably worth trying, and it's nice to feel you're doing something extra for yourself and those in your care during trying and uncertain times. Based on 35 years of extensive research and clinical practice, I do strongly feel that nutritional supplements and botanical medicines have a strong role to play in immune support. There are also many herbs with a history of traditional use for improving immunity and resilience. Some nutrients and herbs do have anywhere from a small amount of weak scientific trials to actually more robust supportive scientific evidence for their ability to prevent cold and flu. But keep in mind, COVID-19, though it is a coronavirus, is not the common cold, and it's not the flu. And we have no idea how any of the evidence that we have for cold and flu applies to either of the current strains of coronavirus causing COVID-19. Further, even when nutrients or herbs may be effective, there's a tremendous variation in potency and quality of individual products. That said, these are the supplements that I feel have moderate evidence for preventing cold or flu, and I consider them generally safe for most individuals to take, and no reason not to take them in our present time, unless there are exceptions for specific groups or those with specific conditions, and I'll mention those as we go along. So let's start with the nutrients. Zinc plays an important role in immunity and helping the body to fight invading bacteria and viruses, and may help the lining of the respiratory passages prevent against viral replication and inflammation. The best form for preventing respiratory infection is zinc lozenges, preferably zinc acetate, which may also help to reduce the severity of upper respiratory infections or symptoms associated with colds. 
I don't recommend nasal sprays, which can alter sense of smell, or zinc tablets or pills, unless that's all you can find, but not the nasal sprays at all, ever, because the zinc tablets and pills aren't quite as well absorbed as the zinc lozenges. A dose of 5 to 10 milligrams a day is typically enough, but you can take up to 45 milligrams a day for a few weeks at a time. I recommend the lower doses for pregnant women and breastfeeding women, and make sure to also see how much is in your prenatal vitamins so you're just building up to that, you know, top amount, but checking what you're already getting. As I learned the hard way personally from two vomiting young children on a cross-country trip about 30 years ago, taking zinc supplements, especially on an empty stomach, can cause nausea and vomiting. My kids were sick. We were traveling on a nine-week car trip out to the Southwest and then up to the Northwest and back to the East Coast. And at some point, the kids... A couple of weeks in, had sniffles and little coughs. My husband and I stopped at a little health food store in some teeny weeny weeny town. Maybe one of you live in that teeny weeny weeny town. It was somewhere, I think, in Kentucky or somewhere. And we got zinc lozenges and we broke them into quarters. The kids were like, I don't know, four and two and a half at the times. So we gave the youngest like a tiny little piece of lozenge and we gave the four-year-old a quarter of the lozenge. And within half an hour, the kids were like, I don't feel well, my tummy hurts. And then just like vomiting. And any of you who have kids or have had anyone vomit in your car, you know, that's not fun. And then add that to a nine week car trip in the summer. It was awful, but that's what happened. But I learned from, from, uh, my own trial and error before I ever read about zinc lozenges causing nausea and vomiting, not a great thing. So take them with a meal. Um, although many of the combination, combination lozenges, like you can find, you know, zinc and cherry and um, echinacea lozenge that is, has honey or some other base to it. Those may be less nauseating. Zinc supplements can interfere with the absorption of certain medications, including quinolone or tetracycline antibiotics. If antibiotics become required for the treatment of COVID-19 complications or another infection, should you get sick and really sick, discontinue supplementing with the extra zinc. Zinc supplementation can also interfere with diuretics and certain medications used to treat rheumatoid arthritis. So check with your doctor if you're taking any of those before you start supplementing with zinc. All right, moving on to vitamin D. Vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. Actually, technically, it's a pro-hormone. It becomes a hormone in your body. Um, and it has an important effect not only on bone health, but on immune function and ability to fight infections. Just a quick aside, when I was at Yale in my medical training, we had a grand rounds from the nephrology team uh, who were doing research on dialysis and dialysis patients, people with diabetes or kidney failure, are, and particularly those with diabetes who have uncontrolled um, blood sugars, are very prone to very severe infections and pneumonia, for example, which is why they're at so much more risk with our current infection that we're in pandemic. They're also very susceptible to infections when they get dialysis, which they're getting three times a week. So the experiment was giving a, a control group of patients no vitamin D and then giving the experimental group uh, vitamin D. And long story short, after however many months they did this study for, I don't remember anymore, there were substantially reduced infections in the patients receiving oral vitamin D3 supplementation. So it became part of the protocol. According to a 2017 meta-analysis in the British Medical Journal, vitamin D supplementation is safe and it protected against acute respiratory infection overall. 
Individuals who were vitamin D def- significantly vitamin D deficient experienced the most benefit from taking it. Another study published in a journal called Thorax found that vitamin D deficiency is common in people who develop acute respiratory distress syndrome. This is significant because it's one of the feared complications of COVID-19, and per this report, appears to contribute to the development of the condition. The best form of vitamin D for maximal absorption is vitamin D3, and supplementing between 1,000 and 2,000 units a day is safe and ample for most people unless you're vitamin D deficient, in which case you may need to go up to 4,000 units a day, which is still a safe dose during pregnancy and breastfeeding per the Office of Dietary Supplements. Actually, the Office of Dietary Supplements, which is a branch of the National Institutes of Health, so it's a federal organization, says that up to 4,000 international units of D a day is safe for children nine years and older, adults, pregnant, and lactating women. Children's doses younger than nine are typically 400 to 800 units a day. For best absorption, try taking it with a meal that also contains healthy fats like salmon or avocado, but it can be taken at any time. Food sources of vitamin D include fatty fish like salmon, tuna, mackerel, cheese, and egg yolks also provide a small amount. Vitamin C is probably the most commonly recommended nutrient for cold and flu prevention, and there's a reason for it. Not only does it help immune cells function properly, nearly 150 studies demonstrate that it can help fight different pathogens and support the health of the respiratory passages. But most of those are animal studies. Can it help prevent colds and flu in people? Here's what a 2013 Cochrane database meta-analysis based on 29 trials comparing 11,306 participants had to say. Vitamin C appears to lead to a 50% reduction in the likelihood of catching a cold in athletes who perform regular or acute bouts of intense exercise compared to athletes who don't take vitamin C, and cold duration may be reduced by about 8% in adults and it's 14% in children who take vitamin C regularly and colds may be less severe. Now, the strongest data is actually for athletes and a little bit of a little bit of strength behind the data on reducing um, duration and severity of cold. It's not super strong data, but given the low cost and relative safety of vitamin C supplementation and its possible benefits preventing respiratory infections, it seems worth including it in an overall daily cold and flu prevention plan. And it's not contraindicated in a COVID-19 prevention plan. A typical dose is up to 2,000 milligrams a day. This dose is safe for pregnant and breastfeeding people. Children's dose is substantially lower. And if you can't find vitamin C because everyone else has bought it up, remember, oranges and grapefruits are important sources of vitamin C, as are red and green peppers, kiwi fruit, broccoli, strawberries, cantaloupe, and baked potatoes. So eat a wide variety of those. Now, Many of us have heard about the myriad benefits of probiotics, and there are so many mechanisms by which a healthy microbiome supports immunity. And it's really mission critical for an overall healthy immune system to maintain a healthy microbiome. But what about taking probiotics for the prevention of colds, flu, or other respiratory infections? A 2015 Cochrane database review found no evidence that probiotics prevent respiratory infection. A subsequent review, though, 
perhaps a little bit less less reliable than that one, did find some possible benefits for children, athletes, and the elderly. Nonetheless, a typical probiotic product containing an array of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium species is considered safe for most people. If you have IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, or if you're immunodeficient, speak with your healthcare provider before supplementing because there may be some specific issues that may make it less safe for you. Taking a probiotic is safe during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Do you have some unexpected time on your hands right now and want to learn more about uh, microbiome and probiotics? I've got some great podcasts on probiotics, microbiotics from some of the world's leading researchers. And if you head on over to my website and uh, click to the link for this blog that accompanies the podcast that you're listening to, um, you'll find tons of links in there. All right, let's switch gears and talk about herbs. Echinacea is an herb traditionally and still commonly recommended for the prevention and treatment of the common cold. Numerous studies, including a Cochrane database review, found that echinacea provides consistently positive results, but not necessarily with huge benefits. Herbalists contend that inconsistent and underwhelming study results are due to the use of lower quality products in studies, inadequate dosing, or both, and that may actually be true. Because echinacea is safe for most people and does show some benefit for upper respiratory infection prevention and prevention of recurrent infection, I consider it a reasonable part of a prevention program for colds. While there's no evidence yet for any herbs or supplements preventing or treating COVID-19, it appears safe and reasonable to me to include echinacea for supporting the immune system should you try to use it. It's also been shown to be safe during pregnancy and breastfeeding. A typical dose is 300 to 500 milligrams of the dried herb in capsule or tablet three times a day, or my preferred way, two and a half to five milliliters of the tincture, which is also called a liquid extract, or you can take a glycerite, which is another extract form if you don't use alcohol, up to three times a day. Who should avoid or speak with their doctor before taking echinacea? Those with active chronic systemic autoimmune conditions such as lupus. Anyone with autoimmune conditions who have previously tried echinacea and experienced a flare. And those of you on immunosuppressive medications. Another herb that's much less known than um, echinacea, which might be almost considered like the echinacea of traditional medicine because it's used similarly and frequently, is astragalus. But interestingly, one study on it showed that it had slightly stronger immune-enhancing effects than even echinacea. Traditionally, it was used in medicinal-strength teas and soups as part of an overall lifestyle that includes herbs in the diet. I generally recommend it in tincture form for prevention in my patients who tend to get a yearly cold that turns into bronchitis kind of thing, but I also teach them how to make a traditional immune tonic soup, which is a spin on the classic um, miso soup, but you can also do it as a chicken soup or a vegetable soup or even a bone broth. In the blog that corresponds to this article, I link over to a recipe And it's really, really easy to make, although I would say the herbs are a bit of an acquired taste. They will change the taste of your usual chicken or miso or bone broth uh, soups 
And if you don't know where to get astragalus, well, how many people really do? Um, in the blog, you'll find a link to one of my favorite companies. I do not have an affiliate or kickback relationship with them at all, Mountain Rose Herbs. And you can just look online, just Google Mountain Rose Herbs. And uh, I don't know what their stock supplies are like now. I know a lot of the herbal companies and the supplement companies are working with distributors who have a year's supply stocked, so you should be able to get what you need, um, but it's a great one to add if you want to. Again, I'm not taking any of these things every day. I haven't had any astragalus. I haven't had any echinacea since COVID hit the scene, uh, so just you know, want you to know, for me, it's the prevention, healthy diet, good sleep that are my basics. All right, what about elderberry? This is almost like the piece de resistance that everyone's asking about. There's an enormous amount of information and misinformation circulating on the internet about elderberry, COVID-19, and a phenomenon called cytokine storm. The bottom line is that most of the evidence for elderberry is for the treatment of flu when taken during the first 72 hours of flu symptoms, not for the prevention of either colds or flu. Though one study showed a reduced duration and severity of upper respiratory infection, particularly colds in air travelers, so people who were getting on planes, compared to those who didn't use it. Cytokine release syndrome, CRS, or in its extreme form, cytokine storm, is an immunologic phenomenon that occurs in advanced states of infection. For example, in acute respiratory distress syndrome, which I mentioned earlier, which is a potentially severe advanced COVID-19 complication. It also shows up in sepsis, which is a full-body breakdown, systemic crash, organ system failure due to infection, also a possible severe COVID-19 complication. Cytokine release syndrome or cytokine storm can also happen with certain immunologic medications, particularly monoclonal antibodies. It was considered a major cause of death in the Spanish flu and happens in SARS and H1N1. Interleukin-6 is a term that's often dropped in these conversations when people are talking about cytokine storm because it's an immune mediator. It's part of the immune system that acts as both a pro-inflammatory cytokine, an immune system chemical, but simultaneously also acts as an anti-inflammatory. The association with elderberry and cytokine storm is implausible. Yes, many herbs that we take increase our body's production of cytokines. They're helping to fight an infection. That's part of what they do. But elderberry cannot cause cytokine storm. Herbs have not been shown to cause cytokine storm. That is an advanced stage of an illness. And that's the case whether we use them for prevention or treatment during an infection. Were one to be experiencing cytokine storm, one would likely be far too sick for to even be sitting up and taking herbal therapies. Certainly that is not a time for herbal therapy to be used. This is an ICU life support level crisis. So bottom line, elderberry is unlikely based on what we know at this time, particularly relevant for COVID-19 prevention or even treatment of mild to moderate symptoms. And if you're concerned about cytokine release syndrome or cytokine storm, even though it's not plausible, if you're worried about it, don't use it. That's, it's just that simple. There are other choices. You can use echinacea. You can use the nutrients that I mentioned earlier. So what about garlic? Well, garlic is one of the most classic herbs used to prevent and treat respiratory infection. And historical evidence even suggests it may have prevented some subpopulations in Europe from getting the plague. 
but it's more specific to bacterial infections than viral infections. Nonetheless, it's one of my personal go-to dietary strategies for overall health and immune health. I literally do not ever not have garlic in my house. To me, it's so important. To me, it's like um, having a fire extinguisher. Okay, arguably a fire extinguisher is more important and more evidence-based, but garlic is something I include in my meals every single day. And I use um, a lot of raw garlic, like we're eating more uh, salads with salad dressing that have raw garlic in it now. I use it in my guacamole, for example. Um, I squeeze it onto um, green leafy vegetables. So I'll, I'll steam up a bunch of kale, put a little butter or olive oil, a little lemon, a little salt or tamari, and just squeeze some fresh garlic right on there so that we're getting some fresh garlic every day. Now, if you don't tolerate raw garlic, you can still use cooked garlic. And I also use ginger, which is also an antimicrobial. And again, ginger is in my cooking or in my tea almost every single day. And I highly encourage ginger and garlic, or at least, you know, uh, if you can't tolerate garlic, ginger, as just an important part of the healthful herbs you use. In addition, all your cooking herbs, oregano, thyme, basil, even if they're dried, these aromatic herbs are part of a healthful diet and part of healthful immunity. And it's not just because they have all these aromatic oils, these essential oils, but, but they may actually affect us on a cellular level that's a little bit more um, biochemically and physiologically complex than we have time for right now, but there may be some mRNA connection between plant and human um, genetic interaction that may actually prime our immune systems in ways that are super important. All right, green tea. Now, tea is such a uh, you know a part of most herbalist life, and I make some kind of tea every day. Green tea has become something I just love so much. And it's not only delicious, but it's, it's really, really healthful. Several studies over the past few years, interestingly, have found that drinking hot green tea can reduce the likelihood of upper respiratory infections. It's unclear whether this is due to the warm vapor or the aromatic oils that are happening while we inhale the tea. And I tend to think it's the latter because otherwise drinking coffee would have been found to prevent upper respiratory infections. And a lot of people would be <laughs> thrilled with that. Coffee does have some benefits, but um, that's probably not one of them. So if you enjoy green tea, a couple of cups a day can be a really pleasant ritual and a nourishing way to possibly support upper respiratory health. A few other categories of herbs to consider, and don't worry, we're winding down soon, are adaptogens, including ashwagandha and holy basil, and also the medicinal mushrooms, particularly reishi, which is called Ganoderma lucidum in its botanical Latin name. And these are widely used by herbalists to optimize immune health and resilience, and they're, um, they're uh uh, botanicals that I recommend a lot to my patients in my practice, particularly the kind of patient I mentioned earlier who gets that fall cold that always turns into bronchitis for them, start getting them on adaptogens, some of the nutrients I've mentioned, um, medicinal mushrooms, and it's amazing. They'll come to me and then that year they'll, they're will they you know going through the whole winter going, I can't believe it, I didn't get sick this winter. Adaptogens and reishi mushroom have been shown to not only calm an overstimulated immune system while enhancing reduced immune function, but to also improve overall sense of well-being and reduce anxiety, which I think most of us feel like we can use in this time. Now, these are definitely not recommended during pregnancy. You can use shiitake mushrooms in your cooking, but they're not recommended as medicinal herbs during pregnancy. And they're also, you need to be really cautious if you're on immunosuppressive medications 
So I always say, you know, speak with your doctor before using those herbs. But for most everyone else, they're generally safe and they're fine during breastfeeding. Doses per adaptogen and medicinal mushroom products vary. Um, and I give you links over in the blog on my website to um, a couple of articles I have on adaptogens and medicinal mushrooms. So what are you going to do if there are empty shelves and you can't get any reliable nutritional and herbal supplements? I was just in my local food co-op the other day and I took a stroll down the natural supplements aisle to see what was happening there. And the shelves that usually house the immune support supplements were almost entirely empty. I want to emphasize that if you're unable to obtain herbs locally, please don't freak out. Remember that it's the basic prevention, hand washing hands away from eyes, nose, and mouth if you haven't washed your hands, and minimizing exposure that are proven to help and that are free. Additionally, eating well, sleeping enough, and doing everything you can to stay relaxed and connected to your loved ones, even if by phone or FaceTime or Skype, are all important for immune health. Now, I make it a policy not to directly sell herbs or supplements. I want you to always know that the information I'm sharing with you is for your benefit, not that it's padding my pocket. And I never want you to worry that there's an ulterior motive. Because so many of you ask me where to get supplements that you can trust, and I know it's really hard to get products locally, and products at Amazon have been proven to sometimes not be reliable and to even be counterfeit, in on my website, on my homepage, under the tab that says more for you, you can find a link to not my store. I don't sell supplements. It's a link to a company that I use for my own personal use for my family and friends and that my patients use. That access will be available to you indefinitely. There is a continual discount that is always available at that link if you use that link to get there that's on my website. And you can read about the donation of income from supplement sales on my web page. But please know that I don't want you to blow your paycheck on supplements. If you're, you know, you've been laid off, you've lost your job right now, focus on the other stuff, especially if your budget is tight. I know that it's really, really tough right now and finances and our economic system are a little uncertain. So don't feel like you have to, you know, spend all your money on supplements. Do the common things. Also, please stay tuned to the posts on my Instagram or Facebook pages where I'm engaging in conversations, comments, offering live events, ask me anything, and just time to connect to break up the social distancing. That could be one of the worst things for our immune system if we get, you know, and all the stress we're facing. My heart is totally with you in these trying times. I'm going through it too, and I'm listening to your concerns and questions so I can continue to provide and expand on the information and support that you need and trust. So head on over to my Facebook, Aviva Ram uh, MD, or head on over to my Instagram, Aviva Ram MD, and go to one of the, go to my most recent post. And if you have questions, I can't promise to answer them all, but I personally am checking them usually once a day to try to really stay connected. So again, thinking of you and hope that all of this is something that we all look back on and just go, wow, remember the time um, and that you and your family get through this safely. And I hope this information is really helpful. See you next time on Natural MD Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health 
naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.